All right. Well, before we uh, get rolling, why don't we actually go ahead and, and let's pray for Jeff right now. How about, would you join me in doing that? Uh, Jesus, thank you uh, that you could give him this time of rest. I pray that you would really recharge him. Lord, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, Jesus, continue to lead him uh, in the way that has been so uh, fruitful uh, for us and our church and even our community. Uh, Jesus, we don't follow a man, we follow you. Um, But Jesus, you do give us leaders that continue to help point us to you. And we're so grateful for the leadership that you've placed in Jeff. So Lord, help uh, help him have a fruitful time. um, And I pray that his family enjoys the extra time with him as well. And that he would just be rejuvenated over these next few weeks. Be with us, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us here in the room over at Montrose. What is up, my people? Uh, It is good uh, to be here. And of course, if you're joining us online, it is great to have you too. Uh, We're going to kick off this series. And as Jeff mentioned, it's been something that as we talked about and prayed about, we realized that this is a question that's kind of at the middle of everything that we do. Like, how do I relate to God? On some level, if you're an earshot of moi, my moi, uh, I have an accent all of a sudden, uh, but if, uh, if, if you're an earshot of my voice, uh, you're asking that question on some level. How do I relate to him better, more closely? How do I grow in a relationship with him? Is interacting with him at all something I want to do with my life? Like, on some level, we're asking this question. And so we're going to find ourselves coming from various places. Some of us, we feel close to God. Some of us, we're wondering if God is for us and everything in between. But we're going to be asking those questions because we're trying to figure it out. Is he out there? Does he hear my prayers? Where does he land on these political issues? Does he root for Ohio State? (laughs) Sometimes I say silly things. Of course he does. Uh, But how, how else, right, do we wonder about God himself? Where does he meet us? Where does he want us to jump in and follow him? How does he want us to interact with him? Well, over the last few months, uh, we've been kind of diving into one of Jesus's key teachings. And so the Sermon on the Mount is found in particular uh, in in the beginning few chapters, five through seven in the book of Matthew. And we've been looking at all the different ways that God kind of disrupts our life and disrupts our default decisions. He shows us what he actually once, and he also kind of shows us we don't have to live the bland, dim, and boring life, but instead that we can actually begin to experience what real vibrant life looks like in him when we accept the identity that he's created us to operate within. And so we've been exploring these things. This teaching of Jesus has been absolutely life-changing to thousands and millions all throughout history. And so we want to engage it. What is it that Jesus is pulling us into? And that's kind of where we're going to find ourselves uh, starting this series this weekend. So I hope that all of us are willing to Maybe have our mind blown a little bit. Something that maybe we haven't thought about things this way. Maybe we have some blanks that God can fill in. And that's kind of my prayer, not only for this weekend, but for this series as we kind of continue to dive into this question. So here's kind of what we're gonna do uh, as we kind of move around this weekend. We're gonna start by just laying down the baseline, right? Like what is it in particular that God is asking for when it comes to relating to him? What is kind of the bucket that all of that fits within? The second thing is, though, because some of us, we may have heard some of these things when we get there, 
But it's incredible how fast life can sidetrack us and we get distracted and something pulls us off course, something pulls us down a path we didn't intend to go down. What are those things so that we don't walk out so confident that we miss all the distractions pulling us away? And then how do we keep relating to God the way that he intends? How do we strive to continue to have that closeness that he invites us into? So let's go ahead and open up to this teaching. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this week. If you have a Bible, you can uh, open up to that page. By the way, if you don't have a copy of the Bible of your own, we have those at our info desk to to give to you. So we would love for you to have a copy of that and be reading. Um, But if you have that, open up to Matthew chapter 7. You can also follow along in our app. Uh, as well. And I got some preloaded notes in there and everything for you. So Matthew chapter seven, we're going to start in verse seven. And Jesus says this, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find, keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, I need to make sure that we're kind of on the same page right now after reading uh, that passage. What God is not doing, what Jesus is not explaining is how God is transactional. Okay, this is not a if if you do this, God will do this. If you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. If, if you do these religious things, I'll meet you halfway and we'll make this happen. This is not a transactional conversation. God is not our boss. God is not a sales agent. God is not a genie. All right, God is a father, which is actually where Jesus takes us in in the very next verse. He says this, he says, you parents out there, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you, do you give them a stone instead? If they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now I'll pause here real quick because maybe this word stuck out to you, sinful. Yes, sinful means rebellious. Yes, sinful can mean I'm doing evil things on purpose. Yes, sin can be I just messed up and made a mistake. But one of the other ways that we can understand sin, and it is all those things, is also simply incomplete. And so when Jesus says, if even all of you who are incomplete, who have made plenty of mistakes, who have gone the wrong way at times, have maybe are going the wrong way now, maybe if those of you that have even been rebellious directly to God uh, on purpose, even you in any of those categories who are sinful, if you know how to help your children, how much more does our heavenly father who is purely good and purely perfect know how to do the same. So let's take a look at this and let's, let's go ahead and lay down the baseline then. God is relational, not transactional. God is relational, not transactional. Now, I want to dig in here again for a second because some of us have heard phrases like this a lot. Some of us, this might be new. Some of us, this is a repeat in the sense that you're like, yeah, 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 God wants a relationship with me. And yet, we're always tempted to keep sneaking back into that transactional language. And so I wanna encourage you to slow slow your mind down a second here and really dial in what is it that Jesus is trying to help us understand here. Because again, it's not simply you do this, he'll do that. He's using the father language on purpose. 
He's using that father language to illustrate something that when you come to him, you can see him as a father. God is good at this. He's literally inviting us in to engage with him. He wants us to be with him. He wants to be the perfect dad that maybe none of, well, none of us have ever had a perfect father. None of us have. And he wants to be that in our life. He wants connection. He wants a close relationship. And, but if we start to deteriorate that down into simply transactions, we begin to mess up the relationship. If you think about some of the closest and healthiest relationships in your life, they're not transactional. Some of you have probably had parents that either do or did mess with you when you brought home a bad report card. But no matter how bad those report cards were and no matter how much they maybe gave you the what for on let's try to do better next time, they weren't going into the cupboard and knocking off a checklist like two more bad report cards and I'm putting them out on the curb. Your relationship wasn't on the line, right? Like if you're married and you have even a remotely healthy marriage, you're not going to lose your marriage because you forgot to do the dishes one more time. It's helpful. <laughs> you might feel closer if you remember to do the things you said you would do, but it's not going to change the nature of the relationship. I once had, I, I, not once, I have a really good friend I was just talking to not that long ago, and I, I told them, I said, I feel like I owe you. I used bank language with him. I said, I feel like you deposit into our friendship all the time. And just by the nature of things, I feel like all I do is withdraw. I feel like I owe you deposits. And he just quickly corrected me. He said, we're friends, man. Like, it doesn't matter if it's 400 to one. I'm not keeping score. I'm not keeping tally. I don't care. You're my friend. I help when you need help. And I'm there when you need it. And it just was so refreshing to know I didn't have to like keep up with my friend to be a friend. And why Jesus is using this language of father is to remind us that this is a father-child relationship. I'm trying to bring something together that's relational on how I want to interact with you, not simply you'd better do these things or else. And it's amazing to me how much I can still, knowing that, slip into transactional mindsets. Well, you know, if I go to church, if I go to church enough, consistently enough, he's gonna help me with my grades. If I pray enough, if I, if I pray to him, I ask him enough, he'll give me that job that I've been longing for. Or, or, or flip it a little bit, right? We'll think about God like, well, you know, if he blesses me, if he does the things that I'm asking, then I'll, then I'll do more of that religious stuff. I mean, how many of us have said a prayer similar to, God, if you do this for me, I'll start doing this every week. I mean, we, we use transactional language almost as a default. And that's why Jesus is speaking to this. It's not that way. It's about a relationship. Now, I'll give you a little bit of bonus aside here. If in your closest relationships, if you're working transactionally with them, that might be one of the reasons those relationships are always strained. Because it feels like you're just inspecting and checking the box or not checking the box every time you interact with them. And that's what God is trying to establish with himself and then set as an example for how we interact with each other. Because we've all seen it blow up. 
We've seen the marriage fall apart because it got transactional. We've seen the parent-child divide because somehow it got to you didn't do enough of this or you didn't do enough of that. And we've certainly seen the social media explosions of because you think this, do that, didn't do that, you're dead to me type of relationships. And what's so heartbreaking in those scenarios is what's lacking is the connection. It's the relationship. It's seeing one another as a person, as a human that we need to love and interact with as opposed to just, nope, it's that simple, you're done. And Jesus is trying to reset the table there. So he says things, again, to remind us, if your children ask you for a loaf of bread, if they ask for a fish, do you give them something else? Of course not. So even if you know how to give them good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father know to give you good gifts instead? If we can jump in with God, and see him the relational way that he wants to be seen. We can get past hoping that it's achievement or that it's about our personal satisfaction or instead we can shift and realize that the creator, the person who set all of this in the motion, the person who forgives and offers forgiveness for our mistakes and rebellion, that he wants to connect with us. And so Jesus then, with that in mind, as a father, goes back to the beginning and says, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Jesus goes back to here because he's trying to help you realize what it looks like to go to your heavenly father. And so if we look at asking through the lens of the fact that he's our heavenly father, he's dad. Communicate with him. Talk to him. Tell him about the good. Tell him about the ugly. Ask him the questions about what you don't understand. Interact with dad. Go to your heavenly father and that regular connection will actually spur about this communication that begins to tighten the closeness. So ask, and you'll receive his response. Seeking, what do we do with a heavenly dad, a heavenly father when we seek him? A father, a healthy father, a good father, a perfect father would love to spend time with you. My daughter has been asking me for like five weeks, can we go see the Minions movie? And it was never a no. It was just the timing didn't work out. The schedules didn't work out or whatever. And finally, I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's go to the Minions movie. There was never any harsh feelings from me because it didn't work out before. But she knew I can go to dad and I can keep asking. I can keep seeking. Can we do this thing together? Sure. Let's go see the rise of Gru. And so seek is active Seek is not passive. Jesus is saying, go find your dad. Go interact with your dad. Don't wait until circumstances or your life blow up and then you have to kind of like run back like, God, it's been a minute. It's been a while and I, I really need your help right now. And you almost feel guilty. You're like, I know I'm calling for a favor again. And you have that like guilt in you. And God, Jesus, no, just, just seek him. Find the relationship, actively pursue him. And knocking, 
go to the door, knock, and let him invite you in. Jesus famously says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in my Father's house, there are many rooms. And I go to prepare a place for you. And so when we knock on the door of our Father's house and he invites us in, it's not so that we can be his guest. It's so that he can invite us in home. Come be with me. Live with me. Live under my roof. Experience the joys and the fulfillment of what it means for me to be your father. Be here. Find life. Find satisfaction. Jesus is trying to show us that this is not just a, I'll do this, you do that. If I do the right things, maybe God will bless me. If God blesses me, I'll do the things. For, it's not that at all. It's finding ourselves in connected relationship with him. Now, I wish it were just that easy. Go ask him. Go seek him. Go knock on his door. And it is that easy, but okay, maybe you're better than me. Why do, why do I find myself being sidetracked all the time? from living that way, from not always being in the mindset of asking, seeking, and knocking. What's holding me back? Maybe some of these things will be helpful for you. So here's some things that sidetrack me. Maybe they sidetrack us. The first one is we're often in a hurry. We're often in a hurry. We're busy. We always have something going on. I mean, to the person... If we talked for even 30 seconds, I bet at least 90% of you would get to, I'm pretty busy. I am swamped. I have a lot going on right now. Things are kind of crazy for me. I feel like I can't keep up. Some version of that, most of us, we're busy. We're in a hurry. Like I said, maybe, maybe you're better than me, but I, I'm not always a great example of beating this. There's kind of a joke around our office amidst our staff that trying to navigate my calendar is like playing a game of Candyland. It's just block on top of block on top of block on top of block and you're trying to slide your 15 minutes or your half hour in between something and it's crazy and I feel like what rules my life if I get them in the right order is some version of God-wife calendar, right? Like that's what dictates how my day is going to go. But my, my calendar is always full and to a relative degree why is that why do I have why do I have this compulsion to just add something in add something in add something in squeeze this in make this happen all the time then I looked over at my to-do app I have a we most most of us have some version of a to-do list right some of it's on yellow paper but mine is an app and they're all organized into different projects or different groups of people I need to meet with. So the next time I see them, I can talk about these things and we can get these things done. And I'm managing these projects and I got all this stuff going on. And I'm an Enneagram 3. If you know Enneagram at all, at all like I have, I have to achieve. I have to get things done, right? So I, I, I didn't realize how transparent this was going to be. But for kicks and giggles for this week, I'm like, I wonder what the total number of tasks are in my to-do app. If I look at all the projects, all the things, all the stuff I'm trying to work on and get done, if I totaled all of that up, 
How many tasks am I trying to accomplish? There are more, <laughs> there are more than 1,600 tasks in my to-do app. Sick, uh-huh. Somebody just said, oh my, God. yep. That's, I, I like threw up in my mouth a little bit when I got to that total. Like it was just like, oh my, right? What's my problem? Do you know how long, if I had nothing on my calendar, how long it would take to do 1,600 unique things and conversations and projects? And like a lot of them are quote unquote professional. They're things I'm trying to do and lead and meet and help people move forward and all this kind of stuff. But some of them are just fun, right? Like I have a, I have a list in my app that's like movies from 2022 that I want to see. And every time, minions, check. You know, like, I mean, it was just like, so every time I see one, but like that's how my mind and certainly how my to-do list operates. I'm always in a hurry. So even when I slow down to try to rest or recoup or whatever, my mind is torn between I'm either being lazy in that moment because I got stuff to do or it's just reeling with, well, when I start doing stuff again, I probably got to get this, 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 and this done. And so when I wonder why I'm not always that good at like asking God into my life, will you help me with this? One of the things that sidetracks me, I'm always in a hurry. I don't have time. And the very thing that God is asking me to do is to slow down. There's stuff like this all over the scriptures. There's always something to chase. There's always someone to go after. There's always something to fight against. But then God says things like, be still and know that I am God. Be still and wait patiently on the Lord to act. Some of you like nervous twitched when you heard the words be still. What does that mean? I can't even rest. I can't even sleep still. God says, be still. Invite me in. How about we talk about all those things that you got going on and I can help. Set priorities. Make things go the way maybe they're supposed to. But I, if you're at all like me, we might be in a little bit of trouble. God's inviting us to slow down. Ask, seek, and Knock. The second thing that sidetracks us is we're often more prideful than we think. There's a reason, a subconscious reason, that I have over 1,600 to-dos in my app. It's because I'm pretty sure I can do it. I wouldn't write them down if I didn't think I wasn't going to get to them. I mean, I literally don't write things down that I don't want to eventually do. So there is this subconscious script in my head that I'm going to knock all this out eventually. If my last decade has shown anything, that's not probably going to be true. Because the way that I work, every two things I check off, I add seven more. Because it sparks another idea. It gets this thing going. I should call that person too. I should... But I keep it up because... I got this. I can make it happen. 
I can work it out. You see, self-worth is a good thing. However, if we're going to be, if you'll be honest with me, most of us elevate our own self-worth over y'all's self-worth. My schedule is more important than yours. What I need to do today is more important than what you need to get done today. How fast I want to drive down this road is more important than how fast you want to drive down this road. So if you're telling me to slow down or speed up, you're wrong. Because I know how fast I should be driving. My priorities are king. Maybe yours are too. Self-worth is fine, except we usually elevate ourselves over everyone else. You see, our self-worth doesn't come from the fact that we are in and of ourselves worthy. A creator that created everything decided to actually instill a part of himself into you and then gave you life, gave you a soul, gave you breath and brought you out into this world. And ever since, every good thing that you've ever experienced is in one way or another the grace of God and a gift from him. We have value because he chose to make you. We have value because he chose that you should exist. Why do I keep defaulting to I got this? I can handle it. I can make it happen. This hit me square between the eyes not that long ago. You see, I have, uh, as far as I can remember, I've always been a big guy. As a freshman in high school, at 14 years old, I was six foot two, 235 pounds. (laughs) Once again, the reactions tonight, they're fantastic. Like... You know, it says the five foot three adult that weighs 110 pounds. Like, wow, 14, huh? You were... I was talking with a friend of mine. He was trying to buy jeans. He was trying to find 27 inch waist jeans. First of all, I puked a little bit. And then, and then I told him, I'm like, I actually, for whatever reason, just happened to measure my thigh that morning. And it was 29 and a half inches around. My thigh was bigger than his jean size. I've always been a big guy. And I've ridden that excuse and I've ridden that as a pride point. I've ridden that because, you know, I grew up that way. My genes were that way. I played football. I wanted to be that way. I, I, I lifted on purpose to get bigger. I did all these things, but then I let that ride into a long-term excuse because, eh, I'm an ex-football player. I should be big. I should be these way. Like, it's okay. It's fine. And I always felt fine, at least fine-ish. I knew I probably should do something about it and I would try things, but I got this because I'm an athlete. I can fix it. I know what to do. Yeah, 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 exercise. Yeah, 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 eat right. I know, I know what I'm doing, says the guy who is chronically overweight. Pride was keeping me in a place 
that I knew I shouldn't stay. And I could excuse everything. Yeah, well, mom told me to clean my plate. Yeah, well, it's not that big of a problem. Yeah, well, the doctor says I'm generally pretty healthy. Yeah, well. But let me tell you one of the subconscious scripts that's been in my mind I should say, had been in my mind for about 39 years. God, I'm willing to give you my life. I will serve you. I will change for you. You are worth it. I will sing the songs. I surrender all. I give my life to you. You can have everything, but don't touch my food. And yes, that can garner a little bit of a snicker. No pun intended. But I was serious. God, what more could you possibly want? I've given you everything I know to give you. And so last fall, this was me. And I find myself giving consistent excuses and I'm realizing for the first time in my life they're all wrapped around a false sense of pride I've got it I'll be fine I'll figure it out and then there was a reverse sense of pride I don't know if you realize pride can have a negative spin too because then every once in a while it would be I guess I'm just not the person that's ever going to make that happen I'm not worth it Suddenly, I'm ironically elevating myself to a place that even though other people have found or whatever, that I can't be that person. And that's ironically another version of pride. God finally broke me. And I realized that God wasn't, when it came to my struggle with this addiction, because that's what it was for me, When it came to my struggle with this, it wasn't a transactional thing where God's looking at me and saying, you better get this fixed. I finally realized God was saying, why don't you come do this with me? Why don't you finally give this over to me too? Why don't you let me show you what that looks like? And so maybe for you, it's not food. What's the thing that you might, you might sing the same song? God, I'll give you this. I'm willing to, I want you to change this, but don't you touch. Don't take my career. Don't take my income. Don't take my girlfriend. Don't take my boyfriend. Don't take... And we clutch onto it because for some reason we elevate our self-worth and our priorities over everything else. God, God, you hear that word, God? Just don't take this. Jesus is offering us down a different pathway. And that kind of brings us to the third thing that distracts us is we're, we're often unsure if we even want to go through the door that God is opening up for us. 
And so we get sidetracked. Because if you're like me, you want fast, simple solutions. For me, with that piece of my life, God, what's the healthy thing I can start eating that will fix this? God, how much water do I need to start drinking before that curbs my appetite? God, how much can I work out? I don't mind being active. How much can I work out to, or flip it? It's not about that anymore. God, what's the, what's the thing What's the, what's the thing I need to stop telling my child so they'll start listening to me? God, what's the thing that if I could just do this, my parent would start treating me like an individual. They would start treating me like a human being. God, what's the one thing that will break the spirit of my aging parents so that they'll finally listen to me and let me direct their life? What's the one thing? Can you just give me the solution? What's the one thing that'll get my spouse to stop arguing with me that way? God, what's the one thing, just, do I just need to come to church one more time a year or like just up my frequency a little bit? Is that when I'll start feeling close to you? How many verses do I have to read before I start feeling, we're looking for the quick fix. We want the solution. Help me out, give me this real quick. And then when someone says something like, well, actually, it's probably going to be a habitual thing and you got to kind of go down and it's like, no, 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 no. It can't be that. Give me the fix. You see, what's crazy is, is Jesus doesn't ask, will you believe this one fact about me? Would you please just repeat after me that I died on the cross for your sins and then I rose again to give eternal life. Would you just repeat after me those words? That's not Jesus's call. That's not Jesus's thing. He's not saying, if you say this, then you're good with me. That's transactional. If you do this, you'll start to have a vibrant spiritual life. That's transactional. Do you know what Jesus did ask for? The simplest thing he asked for, the most consistent thing he asked for? Come follow me. He's not, ask, he's not presenting, here's the quick solution to have your sins forgiven. Here's the quick ticket to heaven. Here's the quick thing that as long as you say this, you'll be fine. That is nowhere in Jesus's vernacular. Come follow me, which strongly implies the direction and the pathway that you naturally go down, the way that you're going right now, the place that you find yourself giving into those addictions, the place that you find yourself repeatedly having those arguments, the place that you find yourself repeatedly being frustrated, the place that you find yourself continually giving into that sin is because you're going down the same pathways. And Jesus says, I will gladly rescue you. Come follow me. Come do this instead. Knock on the door. I will open it up and invite you in. No, 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 no. I'm just here to make a quick Girl Scout sale. I just want this to be really, real quick. That's not what we're being asked. That's not what's going to change things. You see, we get sidetracked because of how busy we are because of how much we think how much I think I've got it all together I know you don't that's how we live 
And it sidetracks us from being humble enough to saying, God, what do you want? We get distracted because we're not sure if we actually want to follow the pathway that Jesus lays out in front of us. So how do we keep relating to God the way that he intends? Well, we go back to that passage. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Why would Jesus keep using that simple phrase, keep on? Is it just because we need to be more determined? Is it just because we need to be more committed? Try harder, fight harder? If it's transactional? But what if it's relational? What if it's like a parent looking at their small baby that's about ready to take its first steps? Come here, come here, come here. Come on. Come here. Ask. Come here. Seek me. Many of us, we have an adult, a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a teacher that over and over and over and gets, hey, if you need to talk, come. And they mean it. Come. Jesus is saying, keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. He is there. He wants to be close to you. He wants to engage you. Just, just keep doing it. Well, I did it once. Do it again. <laughs> I mean, imagine if we did our relationships that way. Some of us, we've experienced this. I told you I love you once. I'll tell you, let you know what it changes. That sucks. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Keep the relationship moving. You see, we don't have to worry about the transactional side we don't have to worry about whether we're allowed to ask or what he's going to respond with. We don't have to worry whether or not we could seek or how Jesus is going to take it when we suddenly find him. We don't have to worry about when we knock on the door and he opens it and he's like, hello, oh, it's you. We don't have to worry about that. And you know why? Because Jesus handled all of the transactions so that we could have the connection. The reason that Jesus died on the cross was because every time you did do something that probably would offend someone, that probably would get the door slammed in your face, Jesus took care of it. Every time that you probably maybe deserved for God to say no, Jesus took care of it because God knew we couldn't. 
So he literally paved the way so that the, the, the transactions were handled. Our sin was nailed to the cross with Jesus and when he resurrected, it proved the transactions cleared. You're good. And so now when we ask and we seek and we knock, our heavenly father is there to welcome us and say, come home. That's what salvation means. It's a salve. It heals. When we decide to follow Jesus, all of the cross and resurrection stuff comes into your life and begins to heal all of that junk. And you are welcome home. Come to Jesus. Come ask him to lead you. Keep seeking what he has to offer. Keep knocking and the door to life is open to you. As we get deeper into this series, that's what I hope we discover together. That we find this open invitation, that we start to find the, the, the purposes of what he's saying, the rhythms and the, and the connection that we can have with him. And as it plays out, then, then we can be encouraged by Jesus to engage some things that continue to build a vibrant relationship and connection with our Heavenly Father. The band is gonna come out and they're gonna lead us through a couple of songs and I don't know how they did this. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like God is setting us up to now pray with him through this music. Will you meet him there? Maybe you're knocking right now. Maybe you hear him beckoning you, come here, <laughs> come here. And can we spend this time in prayer connecting with our creator and savior? Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for taking care of each and every one of those transactions so that the invitation from our heavenly father can ring true. Come home. Find rest. Find where our souls, our thoughts our very being can be transformed to the life that you have to offer. Help us to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, and to keep on knocking. Would you meet us in this moment and bring us closer to you? And it's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.